everyone and welcome to episode 1 of season 2019-20 of the Academica Vertex. I am your host today as always Varun Bansal and with me is Aditya Ayer as well as a new signing Eric uh, Jorgensen. Uh, we can call him Sanka but I'll I'll stick with Eric. Of course Eric ha- has previously made an appearance on the podcast uh, but I'm happy to report this time it's a permanent signing. Welcome to the podcast team Eric. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. you know uh, to be at such a such a big club club podcast you must be thrilled it's a life changing moment yeah brilliant so uh, we're back for the season and we're hopefully better this season because we were a bit on and off last season so hopefully this time we'll uh, we'll keep it regular and we'll keep uh, our viewers uh, interested so uh, i'll talk about a few plans uh, this year we have uh, we'll have the vortex league that we started last year but kind of faded away towards the Uh, middle and, and end part of the season but we're hoping to have regular updates this season on active competition and uh, so we'll have regular updates and hopefully active competition as well as an active group chat we'll try to have a, I, I think uh, we'll be able to have a weekly podcast uh, with Aditya as well as GD uh, stop. we can call him Eric we can call him whatever we want and we will also have a lineup of uh, special guests along the way and uh, we'll keep uh, try to keep it fresh give you a pr- fresh perspective as well as our own weekly thoughts there's still some pre-season excitement to come from FPL Academica with uh, uh, the revamp uh, differential 101 series and perhaps the return of the weekly wildcard series we trial uh, last year amongst various ad hoc features so uh, stay tuned and uh, we hope uh, you you enjoy this podcast so first of all less than 2 weeks to go How are you both looking uh, for, the, for the season? I'll start with Eric. Well, I'm tinkering with my team as normal. I uh, made a few changes here and there, but I think at this point, there's really two things that you need to do. It's deciding on an initial structure. And uh, this year, a lot of people are talking about five at the back, which I think there's there are really good arguments for going with that. But in the end, you just have to figure out your starting structure. and then just keeping an eye on would say mostly defensive moves rather than too aggressive ones basically figuring out which players you really can't go without because uh, if they do well you pick them easily easily yeah that that does seem to make a lot of difference at the start because either you you keep up the pace or you fall behind very rarely will that happen that you just running away with it at the start so it's important to keep pace and uh, Uh, talking about keeping pace i don't have raheem sterling in my team uh, and if ever there were sleepless nights due to fantasy premier league the, it would be now yeah sterling's in my side and i don't think he's going anywhere i'm just hoping i can get that extra 2 and a half million out of somewhere from kevin de bruyne but uh, we'll see i i've decided to delay that decision until the community shield what about you adit what are you planning Yeah, so this season I've kind of started off with a three-four-three. That's the structure which I have made, the initial team which I've done when the the game was launched. But I really haven't made any changes because it's still about ten days left for the transfer window to be shut in the Premier League. So there could be a few surprise moves here and there, new players arriving. I still see preseason games left, so I'm kind of still waiting on that news. But as Eric rightly said, like it depends on what formation you want to choose and the the key players you want. to be having a team so it's based on that how you kind of move ahead with your team so uh, you're talking about uh, five at the back so five at the back is a viable formation this season especially because a lot of the premium uh, defenders are expected to perform uh, big and uh, probably better than a lot of uh, the midfielders at the same price uh, but uh, the upside comes with a big downside as well so a uh, one goal one random goal from uh, Cookie at the uh, in, in in the first game, and suddenly if you have uh, two Liverpool defenders or even three Liverpool defenders, as some of the some of the folks on Twitter have, and it all goes downhill from there. So you know it, it's kind of very difficult to to make sure that you get the points over the over the course of the season. I'm sure you'll get get a very good amount of points, but FPL is more about game to game uh, as it is about the the season. Yeah, I think that with the uh, five at the back, what you're actually doing is that. points wise i think you'll be fine uh, what you are doing though is that you're making it mentally a more difficult game to play because there's no doubt that it's more stressful to follow games and hope that they don't concede a random late goal so if you're watching the games it's going to affect you mentally and this is something that 
from my experience in poker, for example, you can say that there are different strategies to play the game, and some strategies are easier on the player, while yeah. in the end they might be equally effective. But you have to keep in mind, like, is this a way of playing that you can mentally handle? Because if losing a double or triple clean sheet at the end is going to make you go on tip, well, that's something you should consider before committing to that strategy. Yeah, because uh, uh, a lot of times during the season uh, we're so desperate for points and we're it's going so badly for us that we you know hop off that strategy. And if you hop off the strategy after after the bad weeks, then there's a possibility when the good weeks come, you're not on that strategy anymore, and that strategy backfires. So not everybody can do that. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I was also thinking like if uh, I saw someone on Twitter said like the game should be played in anticipation of something, not in anticipation of something that you don't want to happen. Like you anticipate a goal or you anticipate an assist, not uh, not something uh, I hope they don't concede because it it, it makes it stressful. It doesn't uh, make it exciting, which is the point of any game. Uh, and if that happens, uh, then it will uh, it will be a difficult season to endure for the player. Aditya, what do you think? Yes, we're absolutely right. As you're saying, positives and negatives. Like for for example, let's take you have uh, Arnold and. Uh, Robertson and Everett, uh, Liverpool play against Southampton, suppose. Yeah, that's in game week two. And about, say, in the 65th minute, they can see a goal. And Liverpool, maybe the defensive, the fullbacks, they fail to give an assist. So that kind of goes in the wrong direction. We feel like they're not playing well. Uh, but before the game, you generally expect them saying that, yeah, so these two are kind of good attacking fullbacks. So you expect them to get you an assist or some kind of attacking point. So, so those are the people who kind of expect, as you said rightly, like things will go in the right direction. So it's a positive sign. So everything is great. But there are also in the same, same group of people who think that if they concede the goal, if, they, if there's a clean sheet point loss, there's a bonus point loss, everything depends. If you concede two goals, it's minus one on all those sides. So to play the safe way, I would, my, in my case, I'm just avoiding playing five at the back. So it's, Typically, I'm going with the standard with three or four. So, in my case, three is the safest way to go ahead. If you don't want to kind of have the the mentality of the negativeness thing that you're going to lose the clean, clean sheet points are going to be lost and all those stuff. So, for me, three is the safest way to go. But if you kind of favor the attacking fullbacks like Robertson, Arnold, Lucadinha, and Doherty and all those expensive premium defenders who kind of give you a lot of opportunities to get attacking points, you, are, you can go ahead with them. It's up to you. Uh, another argument is that uh, as the season progresses, we'll uh, find ourselves more gems, more attacking fullbacks, more point scores in the lower price range, and then we'll be able to hop off the expensive defenders and maybe upgrade somewhere else. But, you know, that seems like to me is uh, kind of planning a transfer for a future week already. And is that something that we, sh- we should do at the start of the season, uh, Eric? I don't think it's a problem because... I think your point is is uh, exceptionally good. I mean, I think that is really the key. I think the best argument for going with premium defenders at the beginning of the season is that we know what they're capable of. They are known quantities. The similarly priced options in other areas of the pitch. I mean, you can think about someone like Wesley at Aston Villa, the striker. He might do really, really well. He might not. Iosa Perez at Leicester. He might do really well from the beginning. He might not. He might play as a striker. He might play in midfield. We don't exactly know how these mid-priced options are going to fare. Someone like Aspilicueta, Laporte, Ding, we know what they're going to do to some degree. So I think that's why at the beginning of the season, it's way more appealing to go for these tried and true assets in that price range. And after maybe four, six, eight weeks, then we'll have the stats, then we'll have the games to be able to tell which other players are a good deal. And then it will be much easier to go off the premium defenders or the five at the back, because then we know where the efficiencies are. Then we'll know who this season's Jimenez is, who this season's Frazier is. So, uh, as you said, uh, you know, we, we know a little bit of, we know a lot about them. We know they are consistent and that's why they are near the top. But even for the top sides, season to season, it's not the same. Manchester United had the best defense the season before last. And then that all came crashing down last season. Chelsea didn't start last season. Chelsea started last season very well and then went off pace almost instantly. 
So there's a possibility that it can go, all go crashing down, especially if you are doubling up on one team's defenses like you're doing on Liverpool's. Uh, instead, what uh, I think might be a better option if you want to go defense-heavy is have a four at the back because even if you have four premium defenders, that's that's a lot because that's a lot of money you are investing in a defense. And then uh, have those four defenders from, say, four different teams four different teams that you, you think will give you clean sheets and uh, players that will give you attacking returns. And uh, it, it won't be as stressful because one clean sheet wipeout isn't that bad in, in on the whole scheme of things. But again, the, the second thing that comes along with it is that everybody that is doubling up will get double the points at every clean sheet. So it's, there's not really a win-win situation here anyway. So... Uh, for me, for me, it's it's really confusing, but because I've never really went five at the back, and and it's a, it's a weird thing for me because uh, I I don't find it uh, really that appealing. Aditya, yes, mate, you're absolutely right. Even I'm with you in this discussion on five at the back. No, I'm not going to take a risk on the defense now here, because as as you rightly said, if suppose Liverpool, the same example will take Southampton second game week they score a goal, and then you lose your two clean sheet points from two separate players. And suppose your entire five defenders don't keep a clean sheet the same game week. So the, the, the amount of investment you've done in the particular zone kind of fails up in compensation with the attackers and the midfielders, the forwards and the midfielders. So that's kind of, kind of, you might fall down at that particular week in terms of points. But that could be some game weeks where the entire five defenders even assist or some kind of attacking point. So that was, that was a very good argument. But another argument that, that is kind of going under the radar is that once you spend too much on a defense, you don't have enough to spend on a midfield and your attack. And uh, it's very, very volatile at the start of the season. And uh, in case you see an opportunity, you see a bandwagon, it will be difficult to get on it. With just one transfer, you'll need two, possibly three transfers to get someone in. Uh, there'll be uh, strikers from newly promoted sides, new signings. There'll be... Uh, uh, people, uh, players that you haven't considered yet. I don't know why, like David Brooks. There'll be other players. There'll be players with suddenly good fixtures. Uh, Nathan Redmond maybe in the future. So that's where you want to hop on. And uh, if if you have too much invested in defense, first you have to downgrade your defense, then you have to upgrade that player. So it's not easy to move move from that. And and to think that you'll wild card uh, once that happens. I think it would be a bit a bit overkill because you don't, you can't just put all your pin uh, thoughts on, on, on I'll just wildcard to whatever I want it to be. Yeah, I think so, that's all right. But a, a reason why I, for at this point, have someone like Wilson in the in my squad is because that at his price point, it's really easy to move to any of the more reasonably priced strikers. Yeah, you can go to Jimenez, you can go to Yota, you can go to King, you can go to Carlos Luin. You can go very many places from from there. And with the premiums in midfield that I have, then I can go to any midfield that I want, really. And uh, I can downgrade some... Like, I currently have Fraser, so I can downgrade him. So for me, I feel like even with five premiums, the only player I'm locked out of is someone like Harry Kane or, or Jamie Wardy to prefer. Like anyone over eight million in in the forward line. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have uh, I have uh, the most expensive players in all three positions. I have Alexander Arnold, I have uh, Mohamed Salah, as well as Harry Kane. Harry Kane isn't the most expensive, but he's like uh, right up there. Almost every striker is uh, downhill from there. So uh, uh, there there are a few bargains that you just can't go on uh, go towards right now. Like Giroud at seven million uh, could be a very good shout if if Chelsea do end up doing something. Um, and there's a uh, really good options. There's David Silva at 7.5. If he becomes a regular, a few Man City fans believe he will. And there's a uh, other uh, other uh, cheaper. Uh, there's a 4.0 million Lundstrom from Sheffield United, who's been playing a lot in preseason. Though a lot of Sheffield United fans think that he won't be much of a starter. So it's easier to downgrade uh, my uh, my players from there. Uh, but still, uh, the, if you have all these expensive players, you, it's, it becomes difficult to have a balance and you may have a really cheap player in a starting eleven. Like, uh, I, I, I'll have to play one of Dendonka or Oliver Norwood uh, 
side and uh, i really i'm not really sure because i haven't watched norwood play once uh, in my lifetime and uh, it, it's just on here say that i'm putting him in because he's in penalties and stuff like that so if i could upgrade him to maybe a 6.5 like perez gross or maybe even david brooks i'm a real big fan of david brooks uh, come to think of it i Uh, anytime anybody mentions a 6.5 million midfielder my first thought goes towards david brooks because because i saw him play a few games and he looked as as good as any so if if i need to do that i need to downgrade wilson so i was thinking just because i have harry kane will i will it be better for me to do that will it be okay for me to do that yeah i really like harry kane's pricing this year i thought it was really interesting that they put him at 11 but uh... it's also for me like so that initially i put him in my side right away because like yeah hurricane at 11 i think is really well priced but uh, having thought about it uh, i wanted to be more internally consistent this season and i just don't think i don't like striker from la they they always disappoint and i just don't So I was like, do I think that uh, Raheem Sterling over the season is going to outscore Hurricane? Yeah, I I still think so. Would I rather captain a City player than Hurricane? I would, and with the, those two premiums. But I do think that it's an interesting pricing because Hurricane at eleven is fantastic. Like, there's no doubt that that's a good choice. Yeah, it's it's been between Sterling and Hurricane for me. for for the whole of this preseason and sterling's been banging in left right and center in preseason he's just like a striker and uh, i've heard that uh, uh, jesus and aguero might not return until a couple of weeks later so that even ma- that makes him an even better choice uh, because if he plays a, as a number 9 which he virtually still does that uh, that means that he'll be the center man uh, as for harry kane he, he did a uh, He did perform a disaster class against Chris Smalling in <laughs> Manchester United and scored that that goal against Juventus. Uh, you know, we will like to say the expected goals on that one wouldn't be wouldn't be that high. So, not really sure. And Lucas seems to be doing really well. So, if you really want a Spurs player, going Lucas Moura instead, it really isn't that left field, Aditya. Yes, mate. Lucas Moura isn't a bad option because Son is suspended for the next like, three game weeks. So, for the time being, Lucas Moura would be the best option. And uh, also, he's been kind of in a good form in the preseason. I suppose he scored two goals. It's just preseason anyway, so let's not you know, kind of go very deep into it. But yeah, so plays are it's kind of a positive sign. So, also there are a lot of other options that you said. Brooks at six point five and uh, Pascal Gross because I, I read somewhere that because. Uh, Graham Potter is kind of playing the four-two-three-one. He kind of favors uh, Gross at number ten, and with Murray in front, so kind of that's Gross's favorite position. That could be uh, another option at six point five, and also as Eric said, because he has kind of premium players, and also I guess um, Wilson, he's able to kind of transfer him out at any point of time because there are also other options available at the same price range. So the most important thing, as what you guys have spoken here, is kind of evenly distributing the funds across all the positions. So that's one of the major stuff that everybody has to look on before they kind of fix their teams when the game weeks begin. Yeah, and there is a big variety in that six point five million bracket because not every six point five million player is the same. Because when you look at uh, Pascal Gross, he's a talisman at uh, at Brighton, but Brighton don't score a lot of goals, so. For him to contribute, there's less goals in that team. But if you look at Brooks or maybe Perez, their team scores a lot of goals. So even though they may not be the the biggest point scorers in that team, they'll still get a lot of points. So uh, it's kind of a different, different, different kind of players in that uh, in that range. Uh, Fraser at seven point five, uh, that bit expensive. But if he matches last season's uh, performances, surely it's worth it. Also. The seven million price for Lucas Mora. There, there are a lot of options, and a lot of a lot of the managers, including myself, have a uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson in their team because of those good fixtures. But can you really trust Everton, Eric? I I don't think anyone can ever trust Everton, but uh, <laughs> I I I believe in 
evaluating each player on their own. So I don't really care so much about the side or how well the side is going to do. Because uh, Sigurdsson might get the extra point for a clean sheet. But I mean, he's he's an attacker. He's looking to... We're looking at him for scoring points in an attacking sense. And then the question is, well, what kind of player is Sigurdsson? And he's a low percentage kind of player. I mean, he takes a lot of long shots. He is on set pieces. He is a player that will score points throughout the season, but I think Sigurdsson is a player that's extremely difficult to predict when he'll score. He might haul again against a difficult opponent, and he might go on a long run of games where he doesn't get goals. So, personally, I've never liked Sigurdsson as a fancy asset, because he's one of those players that you really should sit on for a long time, maybe the entire season, and uh, I'm not sure I trust him. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a new argument I've heard about him recently. And uh, Richarlison is also 8 million and offers a different approach because he's more of a striker and uh, he gets into the box. Uh, uh, he'd probably be a high percentage player in, in your words. So do you think Richarlison is a better option than Sigurdsson at the moment? Personally, I prefer players like Richarlison for fantasy simply because they have more of a direct threat. They're more involved in the box usually. Uh, but that's speaking generally. And I mean, the thing is as well that Richarlison is a young player that is becoming more experienced in the Premier League. Sigurdsson is an older player. He's probably declining in his abilities while Richarlison is getting better. So when you're betting on someone to do well, because... Sigurdsson gets slightly worse and Richarlison gets slightly better. I think there's no doubt that Richarlison will outscore Sigurdsson. But Richarlison is a player who's quite bad at finishing. So he has a he's a high volume kind of player that he'll get more chances close to goal, but he might miss them. So the question is, is his finishing improving or is it not? Because if not, uh, well... It can be quite frustrating to own someone who will rack up the XG but sky the ball out of the stadium again and again, which Richardson has done. And we don't know completely yet who will be taking penalties for Everton. But I really don't think it'll be Richardson because we've seen, going back to last season, that Richardson has the capacity to be absolutely awful at them. So uh, if Sigurdsson doesn't take them, then uh, I think it might be Lucadini. Yeah, and, and Luca Dini is already sharing a lot of set pieces with Sigurdsson. At Swansea, he was a sole uh, free kick taker, and uh, uh, I think he used to take all the corners as well. That's not the case at Everton. Uh, something that I think that we don't do enough is compare price points. Uh, instead of looking at individual players, we say uh, Sigurdsson is 8 million, that's 1.5 million ex- uh, um, expensive than a 6.5 million player. So we'll take a 6.5 million player that we think is the best option and we see what he offers and then we say what should Sigurdsson offer that is worth that 1.5 million extra so uh, that's something that we don't do enough because uh, like if you consider Richarlison uh, who is a high volume player who gets is more direct so I would I would like to say is uh, uh, Diogo Jota is is that kind of player he's Oh, he's very direct. He's a he's like a striker. He plays with Jimenez, and he, he scores a lot of goals. But he's available one point five million cheaper, but in a different position. So does the Charleston offer that much benefit over him? I'm not sure, Aditya. Um, if you can talk show comparison, I think Diogo Jota just beats the Charleston because of Wolves, uh, you know, more kind of attacking potential, something like kind of more. You know, a five-two, five-three-two, or someone like that. You know, being by kind of more in a attacking zone. So, so basically, for the last year or so, uh, we have seen Wolves have, Wolves have been a kind of a counter-attacking team. For kind of uh, once they kind of get the ball from the front, they're kind of very fast and speed, and they kind of most of the time they kind of finish their chances in such counter-attacking as opposed to Chelsea. You can see Jota has been in this kind of goal very quick with the counter-attack. So, price is six point five million. I think. It's a no-brainer option, Jota. If you compare it with Richarlison, I think hands down Jota is the best option in England. And because, as you said, they're a counter-attacking team, that makes their attackers kind of fixture-proof because the best they are, they are able to counter-attack is against the team that's keeping the possession and attacking them all the time. 
because uh, there are a lot of teams that are counter-attacking, but some of them are not as good at it, but Wolves are really good at it. So if, say, uh, Manchester City goes and plays against Wolves and there is a Wolves counter, then they are very, uh, they do have a lot of space to go and they, they their attackers can get uh, get a few goals against even difficult opposition. So even if, if you look at uh, the Wolves games and they seem to be a little tough at the moment, maybe we, we should take the fixtures with a pinch of salt. Eric? Yeah, I think that uh, when it comes to evaluating players, then fixtures in general for, um, for attacking players are overvalued because we can see that for premiums, there is a correlation that if they are playing the really terrible sides, they have a much better chance of falling. But for players like Jimenez, for players like Wadi, it, it doesn't really matter so much. They, uh, they continue to show us that they will grab a goal and an assist, maybe some bonus, even against top sides. This has been happening for, for years, so we are absolutely certain absolutely. that this pattern is likely to continue. So when it comes to attacking assets, I think it's easy to get blinded by fixtures. But uh, in the end, it's not uh, it's not something that we should look at too closely. Yeah, because a lot of the times uh, when you play a bigger side, uh, the strategy has to be because uh, has to be of scoring goals. Because uh, especially for mid table side, and you are confident in your attacking abilities because you know that the opposition will probably score. And if you need to get something out of the game, you'll need to score yourself. So uh, that has made a lot of the other teams uh, pretty attack minded. Uh, Wolves just came up last year because, but they were very attacking, and they they lost to Huddersfield and Cardiff, uh, if I'm not wrong. Uh, but they beat uh, Manchester United, uh, they beat Liverpool in the top, they beat Tottenham, they beat Chelsea, they drew with Man City. So their fixtures certainly aren't going to be a problem for us. Yeah, and I think uh, Wolves are a really good side as well. So we should be careful underestimating Wolves. I mean, Wolves for me is one of the top sides. And, and a lot of has been said of uh, Europa League fiddles. Uh, they play a couple of games uh, two, three days before and after. Uh, but I was considering this. Uh, this is just the start of the season. So the players should be fitter. There shouldn't be a lot of fatigue. So should Europa League be that much of a problem for them? I doubt that they're going to suffer too much in performance. But I think we might see players like Jota, like Jimenez, be taken off earlier than they were in, uh, during the last season. But in general, I don't think it will affect their points that much. It's something that's really easy to overthink for players like us. But in the end, I think it doesn't really matter so much when it comes to their points. Because uh, if someone like Jota comes on for the last 30 minutes, that might be 80% of what he needs to score anyway. So, uh, we're all penny-pinching at the start of the season. So... Uh, a, lo- a lot of the little bit of cash that we try to get uh, are through the goalkeepers, you know, having a, a bench for the goalkeeper so that we don't have to put ourselves to the decision of rotating our goalkeepers every week. Uh, but which strategy do you prefer for your goalkeeper? I wrote an article about this the other day. So I consider all the different strategies a premium a bench for the, you know, uh, uh, rotating goalkeepers and everything. So what, what do you think is the best one, uh, Aditya? So I'm going with the second option with two 4.5 goalkeepers rotating. Uh, the first one is uh, Don Mutz Begovic and the second one is Aston Westland. Now these were the two keepers I put in just as soon as the game was launched. So I haven't had a really a good look at their fixtures. But now once I see uh, Don Mutz plays Sheffield Aston Villa, Man City, and Leicester. Whereas Aston Villa plays Spurs, Bournemouth, and General who has played the game over the years, has a look at them. He will definitely say either of the sides won't be keeping a clean sheet. But my basic ideology is that either of the goalkeepers should be managed and they should be able to keep a clean sheet based on the fixer. So, for example, Bournemouth plays Sheffield, and if Bournemouth defense is good on the day, he uh, Begovic should be able to keep a clean sheet. I also price it 4.5. So, so I could kind of what is my basic plan. But now these two goalkeepers could be changed based on the, the transfers coming in and the fixtures as and when someone could dip. Yeah, so uh, 
these these really are the uh, quite different to uh, a lot of what i saw on template in twitter because i don't think anyone um, have seen her as aston villa and bournemouth goalkeepers in the team and he, because there's there's a lot of uncertainty about bournemouth uh, mark travers had a glowing debut at the end of last season so he may be the preferred one at the start there's yeah. also quite uncertainty about aston villa and how they'll they'll end up doing they don't have axel twanzeb in their team anymore uh but yeah it's it, it's a bit different maybe maybe it will uh, work out for you uh, uh about the 6 million premium i i think it's better to have a 5.5 million goalkeeper if you're going that route because i was looking at the numbers and uh, hugo loris played 32 or 33 games and scored 146 points last year and if he were to maintain that average uh, he would have got almost the same number of points as edison and uh, i looked at uh, jordan pickford he had about 10 less 8 7 to 8 less clean sheets than edison and he only scored 7 less points than edison so especially because edison doesn't save a lot because city don't concede a lot of shots so a lot of the 5.5 options are almost as good as the 6 million options and if arsenal do sign maybe a goalkeeper from somewhere then uh, even leno he's he's at 5 million if i believe uh, uh, then that could be a better option eric well for the for the goalkeepers i'm quite uh, i'm quite uh, sure that going by the numbers the best thing to do is to simply to select a 4.5 goalkeeper and 4.0 fluff on the bench and that's it i don't think rotating goalkeepers is beneficial because you are taking in too much variance and you just cannot predict when they will do well so i think that having two 4.5 goalkeepers is simply wasting 0.5 million the only other strategy is to go for one of those uh, premiums and i do think that uh, leno might be a good choice simply because arsenal's defense is quite bad so leno might concede might take a lot of shots and through that get bonus or get save points other than that some of the 5.5s are interesting but i really think that if you're going to go premium on the goalkeeper it has to be a strange situation like uh, the hair a couple of years ago when he was saving everything getting bonus and being in a good side i think unless you see a situation like that then it's just not working for someone like alison going for someone like edison because they won't get that much bonus and they simply will not justify taking up a spot from one of those sides so for yeah, me that, i have uh, burnley's uh, pope and uh, i think he's going to start the season for burnley if not i will swap to for uh, is starting the season for them but i think it will be nick pope uh, uh yeah so nick pope i, I have nick pope and uh, matty ryan but i get the i get the argument for it. Uh, a lot of the teams the second choice goalkeepers are 4 million so if you go for matty ryan you can go for barton as well so that way you show you at least play a goalkeeper every week uh, there's not because if you if pope doesn't play you you won't have a goalkeeper for the first week so th- that that could create a problem and as you said the yep. the higher yep. last last season i think that was a freak season to be honest and uh, he offered something that players uh, goalkeepers at any price don't offer a lot because uh, the premium uh, goalkeepers they keep a lot of clean sheets but they don't save as much and uh, the little cheaper goalkeepers they save a lot but they don't keep a lot of clean sheets the higher was keeping a lot of clean sheets as well as saving a lot of shots that just made his his value that much higher and to be able to maintain that isn't isn't a really that isn't that viable I agree. I don't think that's uh, that's realistic. We're going to see that. So uh, let's talk about uh, preseason then, because a lot of new signings have already been made. Uh, a lot of new signings are still to be made. Uh, the recent signings are pretty exciting, uh, especially for you, Eric, because 
Dickinson Arsenal Football Club. At 5.5 million available in Fantasy Premier League. And there is concrete information that Nicholas Pepe will be joining the Gunners as well. Now, that suddenly makes them really, really interesting because the opening couple of fixtures, I believe, are really juicy. Yeah, that's a really tricky situation because, I mean, normally you'd want to give uh, players a couple of games to show how they fit into the side. And for Arsenal, they have some interesting fixtures right off the bat. So basically, you'd be taking a massive gamble, meaning that you have a squad that you don't know how it's going to perform with completely new players to the league. But that might be very interesting. I mean, Tebayo, he has... I think he's been priced really, really interestingly because for me, he's a Ramsey replacement. And he could very well be playing box-to-box, getting in there, getting shots. He scored a lot of goals for the under-21s for Spain and he's a player who might be very, very involved. If you end up having an attacking midfielder at Arsenal for 5.5 million... That could be really, really interesting. Then for someone like Nicolas Pepe, he scored a lot of goals for Le- last season. He, uh, Some of them were penalties. He won't be going anywhere near penalties for Arsenal, but he's one of the most exciting wingers in Europe. To join the Premier League in Arsenal, it's very interesting. Question is, how will he be priced? Personally, I think he should be priced at, at less than someone like Leroy Sané. That would put him at nine million or below. Considering FPL, who knows how he'll be priced? But personally, I wouldn't spend nine million on a player who's completely new to the league. And I think that Pepe overperformed a little bit last season in France. He will probably not do as well, even if he gets fifteen goals and seven assists. That's going to be pretty good. So we'll see. But I think Pepe will depend on his pricing, but I'm not going near any one of them for game one, simply because they're new to the league, and Arsenal is one of the most unpredictable sides in the league. But it does provide a, a bit of options, you know, because last year, the problem with Arsenal, as it were, there weren't really anyone else than Aubameyang and Lacazette. If you wanted an Arsenal player, it was either Aubameyang or Lacazette, and nobody else was providing any sort of value whatsoever. So now, suddenly, you have a player at 5.5 who could be like Aaron Ramsey, and Ramsey was something else on his day. And you can have um, a winger that's proper winger. I don't, uh, Hendrik Mkhitaryan hasn't been a- able to uh, make that impact uh, playing from the wings. Masatozal certainly hasn't. Now you have a winger, a pacey winger on one side who can, can feed and who can also score. So uh, the pool certainly is a, a lot bigger than it was last season. Yeah, Arsenal basically do well and they will be fantasy gold because you have players like Rob Holding who's priced at 4.5 million who I think will be a down starting defender for Arsenal as soon as he's fit. To have a top six defender at 4.5 starting him pretty good. You have uh, Maitland Niles who's priced at 5.0. Not that bad. And he could also be getting some attacking so that's things worth looking at. But interesting, a message Ertzel, if he starts playing well at 7.5, is a steal. And then you have Flavio and then possibly Nicolas Pepe. Yeah, I think there might at some point be a really well-priced uh, asset from Arsenal. I just don't think we can tell who that's going to be in game week one. Yeah, a lot of the times, an underperforming season often turns out to be fantasy goal the next season. Because uh, Chelsea's assets are cheap, United's assets are cheap, as well as uh, Arsenal. So, uh, while uh, the players from Bournemouth uh, and Wolves are relatively expensive for teams in that range. So, once we get to know what kind of football they're playing, what kind of assets are delivering, there's, there's going to be a big template, I believe, this season. A template with around seven to eight players that everybody will have. And, and a lot of players could be of these three teams. Aditya, what do you think? Yes, Ron, you're absolutely right. You said these three clubs didn't play well last season because of that. Yeah. A few players of these clubs have been priced less. For example, uh, last season, but now he's priced at seven. But 
uh, <laughs> was a very, very bad year in the last time. This, this year, Santis hasn't turned up yet pre-season because he's rumoredly injured and he would be joining. And Lukaku is on the verge of leaving the club. So, Sanchez won't be the first choice striker. Striker, apparently, he's going to be a backup for Marcus Rashford. Maybe even by so, in some games, we could see Alexis Sanchez playing. He's priced at 7. That's 0.5, just uh, less than uh, Fraser. Fraser's at 7.5. So, again, that's one. Uh, Pulisic is at 7.5. You'll have to see when he fits in in the Premier League along with Chelsea. Then we have, I guess, uh, Villian at 7. Now, that's kind of interesting because in some of the games on the side, Villian did play in the right and the left. So, I would say probably Chelsea might go with Pulisic, Chuai uh, and Villian because the front three. I'm not sure. They could be in the air, maybe Barkley and Mount. A lot of there are a lot of options there. And at Arsenal, as you rightly said, Danny um, Ceballos at 5.5 is kind of a speed, but we'll have to see if what goes he's going to play on the Emory. And uh, Ozil, 7.5. There are a lot of options, but these options are kind of... Uh, if you look at the performance last season, they were kind of not good. So people don't initially trust them because the managers itself have made them kind of lower their pecking order based on as a backup. So if they kind of play well at some point of time, you would see many uh, managers jumping onto them because they're players from the top six clubs. So that's kind of replacement there. So that's, that's what I want to say here. Yeah, and the preseason has been, uh, has, I mean, I don't know how, how much we can read into preseason, but uh, it has been a bit up and down for Chelsea. They lost to Kawasaki and then they beat Barcelona. United have won all of their preseason matches and conceded one goal in four games. Arsenal have been really indifferent. They beat Bayern Munich and they lost to Real Madrid. So it's a, it's a bit uncertain about them. But there's certainly scope for value there. But to be fair, Arsenal have been playing extremely varying sides and some of them have been complete B-sides and the, the loss against Real Madrid, for example, was against was some penalties, wasn't it? So, I'd, uh, I'd take that with a, with a grain of salt. I don't think anything to be uh, read into the results of those matches. I mean, Eddie Nketiah has been scoring a lot, for example, but uh, he's not going to play uh, during the league. Yeah. And uh, but by the way, I think that actually the Manchester United argument is a good argument to to cover regarding the defense, because yeah. uh, this because, uh, is, is a case Liverpool, where you can, yeah. Liverpool did overperform a bit last year, you know. Yeah, as Liverpool points-wise overperformed a lot, and they and then just took them through because. It was all uh, so much to play for, you know, in the last few weeks that uh, the games like such, a, such as Newcastle away, the adrenaline just got, got them through that game. Yeah, I mean, I think there's absolutely no way that Liverpool concede 22 goals in this season. Yeah. That's 100%. not going to happen. I think uh, there's a lot of mid-table teams that are trending very well. Uh, the newly promoted teams look good. They're investing well. And, uh, you know, new managers having new managers at Chelsea. Chelsea. Chelsea are pretty unpredictable. Chelsea, I think, is going to crash and burn this season. <laughs> I mean, I Frank mean, Lampard uh, is a really bad manager. I mean, he's not competent to take over a Premier League side. Wow. Um, I, don't, I don't have a lot of idea about him because, because I didn't really watch much of the championship. Oh, me neither. But, yeah. but I did look at the numbers and uh, and uh, their uh, XG numbers in the championship was absolutely horrendous. Yeah, I mean, apparently Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a pretty bad manager too, <laughs> according to a lot of people. Well, I think that Solskjaer is a much, much better manager than Frank Lampard and his yeah. uh, numbers are... as well. He's been here like for seven to eight years. Um, I don't remember correctly, so... That does make a huge difference. Yeah, I mean, you, um, I don't think you can compare Solskjaer to Lampard. Because I've been watching a lot of preseason, especially Man United. And at last, I don't know if it will continue, how it will go after season. I'm not deluded to say we'll just you know, 
start winning every game. But uh, I, I can see that we've been doing something on the training ground. Some something, uh, something is materializing on the pitch. The pressing, the you know movement, everything. It it looks looks more. Uh, it looks uh, like uh, something is happening. Uh, uh, as compared to last season, where it was all about uh, you know the uh, new manager boom and then it all went crashing down. <laughs> it looks like something uh, materializing on the pitch, and hopefully that continues. But it's not like we're showing any ambition in the window. Well, Manchester United weren't that bad. I mean, like they they weren't close to competing for the title, and I don't think they will be this year. I don't yeah. think anyone except City and Liverpool will compete for the title, and I think City will win it easily. Uh, but uh, United were just as good a team as as Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea. Uh, well, not they were. You can say that Chelsea was the was really the the third best team last year, and then the pack behind there was really close. I mean, United, Tottenham, Wolves, Arsenal—they were really, really quite similar last year. So I see no reason why United can't be up there fighting for uh, Champions League spots. And you know, Hazard is a very big role to fill. I mean, it's like yeah. Ronaldo territory because he was everything because they didn't have a proper striker for three seasons. Since Diego Costa, I don't think they have a proper striker who's scoring regular goals for them. So Hazard was the one carrying them all through that. And unless Tammy Abraham suddenly becomes like goal scoring genius <laughs> in the it would no, be very I don't difficult. See that yeah. Yeah, for and, me, and Chelsea I, having lost. Um, which was their main attack without recruiting anyone that's of note. I don't think Pulisic is going to difference. I don't think Tammy Abraham, Mitch Bachwai, I don't see that making that big of a difference. I mean, Olivier Giroud is a very solid striker. But, but I mean, it's going to be crosses from Aspilicueta. There's a limit to how many goals that can be. Yeah. And I was looking at a few games uh, at the end of the last, uh, last season uh, for Man United. And I think we were really unlucky in a few of them. Uh, I think we played really well uh, against Arsenal away from home. We played relatively well against Huddersfield and Cardiff. We were just not able to, you know, stretch the good performance for 90 minutes. And I think fitness was a really big issue because I don't think Manchester United players were nearly fit enough. And uh, that's what uh, Solskjaer has been uh, working on in the preseason. And... Uh, People who are not able to handle it are injured already. Eric Bay putting all those training videos on Instagram like he's <laughs> going to be season. It couldn't even last preseason. That's how it is. So there's this new introduction in the Premier League this season, uh, VAR. Uh, it was already in place in the Champions League last season as well as in the Bundesliga and a couple of other leagues. But it returns to the Premier League and returns. it, came, it comes to the Premier League. So how do you think it will make an impact? Does will it make an impact or will it not? Will it cancel it out? A lot of has been said, but you can't be sure for now. Uh, what are your thoughts on VAR, Eric? Well, I'm a big fan of VAR. I absolutely love it. So I love the fact that it's been implemented in the Premier League. When it comes to fantasy, sure, it will have that much of an impact because. If you looked at the numbers, VAR actually hasn't increased the amount of penalties. It's just made them more accurate, meaning that there are less errors with giving and not giving penalties, but the overall total isn't really increasing. What we have to keep in mind, though, is the fact that there will be a new handball rule as well. And while the English FA have said that they will have their own interpretation of it, I think that we might see more penalties given for handball, but will the overall amount of penalties increase by... I'm not so sure about that. But do I think that VAR will benefit the the better sides? Yes. I think that it'll, it'll make less unpredictable, and that we'll probably see the bigger sides edge ahead slightly, and there'll be slightly fewer shocks and upsets. I think the concerns about VAR emerged uh, during the World Cup last year because there were a lot more penalties than usual. But uh, that was a short tournament with, with a really low uh, sample, sample size. size. Yeah. With a really low sample size. And uh, I, I saw a few Bundesliga games and 
they the the referees there are really very proficient at using VAR. They, they they use it very very well. They give penalties, they take their penalties, the red cards, and everything. That's very efficient in the Bundesliga. I don't know how that will transpire in the English game, but uh, I hope it does well because there are a lot of talks about the English referees not being that good because there are a lot of errors in in the English league, especially last year, especially of uh, a few teams getting a, a lot of offside decisions. I won't take names here. Uh, <laughs> it should be a black and white matter. There shouldn't be any discussions about it, uh, such as in decisions of handballs and penalties. But uh, something that does concern me is the English having their own interpretation because from what I saw in the Champions League... Handballs are a lot more easily given than before. Uh, and there's a few things considered. There's distance, there's intent, there's uh, your hands being in a, a natural position. And I think not all of them are taken at every and every decision. Uh, if you have like one or two of them, sometimes the penalties are given. And it often comes down to the referee's interpretation because a lot of the handball decisions are taken by the on-field referee uh, at the end. So that should make a bit of different, especially in the English game. Uh, Eric? Yeah, I think that uh, we're going to, to see a change in the games. And in the first few matches, we're probably going to see a lot of VAR incidents. And then things will even out a little bit. And which way that's going to go, it, it's, we can only guess. But uh, overall, I think uh, we shouldn't freak out too much about it. And I don't think that we should just get every single penalty taker into our squad because the, it's unlikely to be that many, many more penalties than, than there were last season. Another interesting one is uh, the holding and shoving going on in the box during set pieces. Uh, how often do you think that uh, those those instances will be cons- uh, taken into consideration? I think that we saw with Leicester the year that they won that uh, the referees saw that it was a big problem that had to be changed. And we saw that the season after, their uh, Leicester's defence basically fell apart because they couldn't do what they used to do. And uh, hopefully we'll see uh, a change in the game that will once again favour the attackers more. And that can only be a good thing. But I don't think it'll affect the top-level defenders too much. I think, once again, it'll favour the top sides and that the slower, less skillful defenders at the lower half sides will probably struggle a little bit more against the top attackers. And uh, that's probably it. I mean, you talk about how it will affect the lower sides more than the uh, top sides. But I can't uh, seem to not think about... uh... Yeah, Chris Smalling and Phil Jones because they're really good at pushing the box. So, uh, I mean, let's not pretend they're top-level defenders. And that makes me even uh, more pessimistic about the season. Hopefully, uh, we get another good centre-back. So, uh, enough about that. Uh, I think we've had a very good discussion here. And uh, uh, just two weeks left for the season. And who knows uh, what our final team may end up to be. Uh, but I'm pretty sure uh, we, we all of us are certain on at least seven to eight players in our team. And I think that's a good start to have at this point. And uh, Aditya, uh, how many players are in your teams that you may end up changing? Absolutely nailed ones. The first one is Mo Salah. No doubt about it. There's no argument there. Uh, second is Alexander-Arnold. No question. Third is Aguero. No, I'm not sure about regarding that when he's going to join, but if he's fit for game week one, there's no question regarding that. And the number four is Anthony Martial. These are the four nail players from my side. No way they're going to go out unless they the sign of some uh, issue which pops up right before the game week and the injury fitness. It's all depending on that. Now, the players who are might, might leave. Now, the first one is Raul Jimenez's prize at 7.5. Now, he's been kind of been in a good form, I think, in the Gold Cup there in Mexico. So, but now he didn't play in the recent few weeks because obviously he's on a break and he's back. I think I did see him name on the bench against one of the Europa League qualifiers second round. And Diego Jota did play well. So, probably Jota is in a good form and is also priced a million less than Jimenez. 
I could hop on the roof, save the million and invest it somewhere else. And I have, I think, because uh, the Palace is defender thing, what? Because Van Bishak has joined United, so he might be the current right by choice, but it should be uh, Palace could end up also buying a player, so it all depends on that. And the next one are the two goalkeepers, as I said, because it sounded very different, right? But yes, I just had to put them in because I could do the first uh, few four point five seconds twice. So there could be situations that I might end up changing them. Uh, and you, Eric, which players are the ones that are nailed in the squad? For me, it's uh, it's quite simple. I mean, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold was my first pick, and I think he's absolutely impossible to go without. Mo Salah is going to be in my squad simply because I think he's the best captaincy option for game week one. And number three for me is Tendonker of uh, Wolves. I think he's by far the best 4.5 midfielder in the game. So he's going absolutely nowhere. So uh, there's a couple of uh, things that I need to, before we end here, is that when you buy a 4.5 million player that is massively owned, there's a big downside to it uh, with the sense that he might get a price drop or two if things don't go your way. So then Donker is in that category, Mason Greenwood is in that category. So how do you deal with the with that sort of thing, Eric? Well, for me, I think with uh, Den Donker, I, I think that he's so underpriced that there, there I don't see any reason why I would sell him throughout the season. So I'm not worried about him when it comes to that. When it comes to other players in that kind of category, I actually look at uh, how popular they are. Because even though sales depend on ownership, the lower-owned players are much less likely to drop at least that quickly. So at least before your first wildcard, when you can move to someone that you know is less likely to drop. That's why, for example, my backup goalkeeper is Woodman. My uh, third striker is Wickham. I uh, don't want to have someone like Mason Greenwood simply because I do think that he will drop as soon as the game opens. And while he might be a decent choice, I just pick someone with a lower selected by percentage just to avoid that drop or like postpone it for a few more weeks. So that's why I'm avoiding someone like Button or since I don't have Martin Ryan because, well, it's just someone that's going to be a placeholder and never get on the pitch. And if they become an option soon, they're priced so low that it won't be a problem to hop on them even at 0.2 million more. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they turn out, if Mason Greenwood turns out to be a starting successful striker for Manchester United, I'll be happy at buying him for, you know, 5.0. Yeah. And another thing is that every penny we pinch from maybe our goalkeeper or maybe striker that we downgraded, do we need to invest it all somewhere else or is it paramount to have at least something saved up in the bank? I prefer to have something saved up, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do it this season. I think it's, it's really good to have that flexibility. And if you don't have anything left in the bank, at least make sure that you have an easy one transfer transfer to move to any of the big bandwagons. So for me, I could have saved something for example, on Wilson, and left some money in the bank, but it's easy to go somewhere else from his price point. If I had gone for a different strategy, for example, and have lower priced forwards, I think it would have been really important to leave something in the bank so you could go up to, for example, a Jimenez or something if you start with a 6.5 forward. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. And Aditya, what, what do you think? Uh, do you have anything saved up in the bank? Uh, currently, I have 0.5, but generally, when we, whenever we start a season, we kind of make sure we use up the entire amount so that the team looks good. But once uh, people start using their wild card, they kind of become cautious regarding that issue and they kind of slowly start to save up at least 1.5 million. So, at the start of the season, it's, it's budget. And then when you're wild carding, you can kind of make sure you save up you so that uh, it's able to move on easily if they fail. Or else keep the uh, user transfer and just look for a player who's, who is the easiest way to get in the player you want. So that's the end. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think we talked for a long time now. And uh, 
I don't think there's much to talk about uh, before the start of the season. We'll see if any new transfers start going on. Uh, there's not much you know before the start of the FPL season because there's so much uncertainty. Every new season is different. We'll probably not have a different champion this season. Who knows? We can all hope. But there will be different enablers. There will be different bandwagons and there will certainly be different must-haves. How it all pans out is still to be seen. Uh, that was all from our side at the Academic of Vertex. I'm Vern Bunsell. With me today was Aditya Ayer as well as our new boy, Eric Jorgensen. Thank you everyone for joining. We'll see you next time.